Hello, and welcome to Screaming in the Cloud with your host, cloud economist Corey Quinn. This weekly show features conversations with people doing interesting work in the world of cloud, thoughtful commentary on the state of the technical world, and ridiculous titles for which Corey refuses to apologize. This is Screaming in the Cloud. This week's episode is sponsored by Datadog. Datadog's a SaaS monitoring platform for cloud infrastructure, application, and logs. Datadog does it all. Visualizations, application performance monitoring, and distributed tracing. It helps you get a grasp on what your serverless applications are doing, as well as the infrastructure that they're running on top of. And in case you hadn't noticed, Datadog tends to integrate with everything that holds still long enough. If you're using something that doesn't have a Datadog integration, you may be the only person on the planet who cares if that thing isn't working or not. If you give Datadog a try, they'll give you a free t-shirt for your time. I've got to say I love mine. It's comfortable and my toddler points at it and yells, dog, every time that I wear it. It's endearing when she does it. I've been told that I need to leave the Datadog booth at reInvent when I do it. If you want to get yours, go to screaminginthecloud.com slash datadog. That's screaminginthecloud.com slash datadog. Thanks to Datadog for their support of this podcast. Hello and welcome to Screaming in the Cloud. I'm Corey Quinn. I'm joined today by Ben Nelson, who's the co-founder and CTO of the Lambda School. Uh, welcome to the show, Ben. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Corey. <laughs> so the Lambda School, to my understanding, is effectively a 30-week-long online, I guess you'd call it a computer science academy that has a somewhat interesting payment model compared to a lot of programs that have been tried like this in the past. So rather than me trying to stumble my way through a description, what is the Lambda School? Yeah, so essentially uh, the Lambda School, it's, yeah, like like you said, online um, computer science education, and uh, it's free until our students uh, get a job. So we use what's called an income share agreement. Um, and uh, the main idea behind this is that we, we tried to create a, a more forgiving type of a student loan, essentially, you know, pr- providing the ability for a student to, you know, defer payment until they're employed, um, and then doing it with the most like forgivable terms possible. So, um, so our students they don't pay anything until uh, when they start, um, and then um, once they're employed, making at least fifty thousand dollars a year in a job that that they got as a result of our training, um, then they pay back a percentage of their um, of their salary for two years. Um, that's capped. So the maximum that they could pay is thirty thousand dollars if they were to, um, you know, get a six-figure job. Gotcha. So there are a number of bootcamp programs out there, but you're explicitly not a bootcamp. What is it that differentiates you from, I guess, first, but but guess what, what, what causes you to make that somewhat sharp distinction? And secondly, why aren't you one? Yeah. So, you know, bootcamps, they rose out of a need to, um, you know, Huge engineering shortages, um, you know, that uh, needed a faster way to to move people into these you know technical careers, and um, you know, and they're pretty unregulated. It's the wild west, and um, you know, there there are some good ones, um, but there's a lot of bad actors in the space. So. Essentially, we you know we worked backwards from you know we lo- or we looked at the boot camp model and thought okay like well what's working and what's not working and you know the accelerated model you know three months which is the length of your typical boot camp you know that that can work for some people um, but but generally it only works for some of the more advanced students and um, and so you know we tried to make a method that would allow. Um, you know, more beginners to, you know, to be able to have access to this type of an education. So the first thing we did, you know, that was easier is, uh, 
or the, this the low hanging fruit is we made it longer. Um, so again, typical boot camp is twelve weeks long. We're thirty weeks long. Um, so a typical boot camp is you know six weeks of uh, instruction followed by six weeks of working on projects and building out a portfolio. Um, you know, and so within our thirty week program, um, the students are getting significantly more instruction, significantly more um, time spent working on portfolio development, and and because we have more time, we're able to dive into um, computer science fundamentals. So, you know, so we teach like C and Python and Django and, and, uh, um, you know, relational databases. We're not just a, a, a JavaScript bootcamp. Um, so, you know, for our full stack web class, you know, we, you know, start with JavaScript and, and, uh, you know, but then we go all the way through data structures and algorithms and operating systems and, and, uh, you know, get much lower to the, the hardware. We teach computer architecture, things like that, that, you know, that are designed to give the students a more, um, just like a stronger foundation, a, a more uh, kind of a meaty background. Um, yeah, so those are those are some of the main the main differences. I would agree, having spoken to a number of bootcamp graduates myself, that there are a number of shall we say poor actors in this space where what they're teaching is a lot less how to do the functional job and a lot more about how to game the job interview where it's, these are the types of algorithm questions you're going to be asked to solve on a whiteboard. We'll teach you to solve them. And ideally you can pass one interview out of five and that's good enough. And there you go. And that's kind of a neat approach to get away from that particular model. It's not particularly common. Yeah. I mean, and that's, and, you know, and, and, uh, the companies, you know, companies have been burned by that, you know, they'll, they'll hire bootcamp grads and, and, uh, you know, and, and, uh, the bootcamp grad essentially, you know, bluffed his or her way into the job and doesn't perform well and has to get let go. And then the company closes its doors to future bootcamp, you know, hires. And, you know, we've kind of seen that, you know, some of, some of the bootcamps out there, you know, burned the ground in front of us. And, um, you know, and so we have to do some work to, you know, to change that perception. But yeah, so you know, we do approach it from a, a more more in depth, more advanced angle, which um, which our employers have have really enjoyed, and and uh, and we've measured that by by repeat hires. We've had um, you know many many companies who have hired our graduates have, have come back and hired more, and recently one as a um, you know is talking with us about you know hiring fifty more graduates. I mean, so you know, so that's been really good to see the um, the positive reaction from our hiring partners. So something that may wind up being a Somewhat common question is when people hear school, they generally assume nonprofit or they assume terrible predatory model. So you are very clearly a Y Combinator company. You're backed by a number of impressive VCs. Your Series A was led by Google Ventures. And as a general rule, not to disparage the VC model, they tend not to fund things purely out of the goodness of their heart. They are a venture capital firm. They're not UNICEF. So how do you wind up, I guess, getting away from the, frankly, terrible reputation that traditional for-profit education institutions have deserved? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a whole other conversation is, you know, just how, how awful so many of the for-profit educational institutions are. And, and um, I mean, and they're a huge driver behind the student loan crisis. Um, I mean, you know, a, a lot of the debt, you can trace it back to a lot of community colleges and, you know, and also for-profit universities. Um yeah, I mean, so, you know, our investors are looking for a return and, and you know, we are a, a for-profit institution, um, but we are mission-driven though. And and the angle that we've approached this is, you know, how do we align our incentives with the incentives of our students? So traditional for-profit educational 
you know, school there. Um, the name of the game is, you know, get accreditation as quickly as possible. Um, so that way you can get people in, um, siphon off as much, you know, student loan money as you can, um, you know, and then graduate students and pump them out into the marketplace and just grab as much money as you can from the government, um, you know, or from these government backed, you know, loan providers. And so, you know, w- with us, we, be, by using an income share agreement, we don't make money unless our students are successful. Um, and if a student is not successful in our course, so let's say they finish our course and they don't get a job, um, you know, the, the worst thing that happened is that, you know, they, they spent seven months getting, a, you know, this free education and, you know, and they're not on the hook with this debt. Um, if, if they get a job and they get fired, um, they don't have to make payments. Um, and so the payments are 100% contingent upon the student being employed, making more than 50000 a year um, in a job that was related to the education that they received from us. And so by doing that, it means that we are not going to make money unless our students are succeeding. Um, and... You know, yeah, it's, it's for profit. We'll make money off of it. But the ROI that the student is going to experience, um, you know, a successful student is going to experience will be, is going to be massive. Um, you know, so even if, you know, a student, um, you know, ends up paying the maximum amount, they end up paying $30,000, you know, that means that they're ma- making a six figure income as a software engineer. Um, you know, and if that student, you know, still has 30, 40 years left of their career, I mean, that's a multi million dollar swing typically in lifetime earnings um, that is occurring. And so, you know, it's, yeah, it's an investment. Um, you know, and we do want to be a profitable um, company from it, but it's a, a very positive thing for our students because we don't, we will never profit off of failed students and we will not profit off of, you know, off of a a failing school. It's, you know, we only make money if our students are, are actually successful. And I think that's really powerful. Um, you know, and this is a little bit of a controversial opinion, but, um, you know, I really believe that if you properly align the incentives, um, then for-profit institutions can do, can do more social good than, than nonprofits in many cases. Um, and I, you know, and that's, um, you know, it's a little, a little, uh, a little controversial, but, um, you know, but I really believe that, you know, the way we've aligned incentives here are going to do a lot of good for our students. And, and it has, um, you know, if we were to go bankrupt tomorrow, um, you know, and be dead, um, you know, we've already positively impact the lives of, of hundreds of students and, um, you know, and, and that effect lasts through them and their posterity. And, um, you know, and it's, it's been a really pretty cool experience so far. One of the recurring themes on the show has been where does the next generation career-wise come from? For the people who've been doing this type of thing for 10, 15 years, there was either the academic path to get here or there was the path of having worked our way up from support floors, working in data centers, have getting racks falling over and crushing us. And we learn over time that it's different skills that help us to evolve into the modern quote unquote cloud world. And the question now becomes with those jobs having been gone, what are the viable paths to get to this type of career? So if I understand what you're saying, you wind up charging a percentage of the student's income after they graduate. You take nothing until they make at least $50,000 a year, and you hard cap at never taking more than $30,000 versus, I guess, more traditional approach of a four-year degree and, I don't know, underwater basket weaving, where suddenly it's going to cost you $120,000 to get it, no guarantees tied to it at all, and that debt will follow you until you die. Yep. That's a very different model. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's riskier. When you say it's riskier, you're talking about in Lambda School or you're talking about the traditional path? I'm talking about, a, about the traditional path for somebody who's already later in their career. And, and so, yeah, the idea here is that, you know, with Lambda School, we try to, um, you know, de-risk that 
that transition as you know as, as much as possible. So, um, you know, back in the you know the beginning of your question, you talked about you know like where are, is this you know this next generation coming from? You know, this next generation of you know technical talent and software engineers, and um, you know, and uh, yeah, traditionally it's had you know has had to come through universities and these you know and these four year programs. And I check you cannot major in serverless. You cannot major in React. You cannot major in writing web applications. It. It's weird because people start talking about vocational abilities and going back to academia, which is explicitly non-vocational in nature in most respects, and hoping for that to have the answers. And it's never felt to me like that's a viable path forward. Yeah, I mean, you, you talk to the university and you'll ask them, you know, are like, you know, what's your purpose? And the purpose is, you know, that, you know, usually you get some answer about how, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, creating a more well-rounded person and, and, uh, you know, and it, it gets into more of these intangibles and, um, you know, but typically from the student perspective, they're there because they want, they want a good job. They want a good career. Um, you know, and it's the next step forward. And, you know, and so there's a little bit of a, little bit of an incentive alignment, and, you know, and again, um, you know, we're not anti-university and, and, uh, you know, and that's great. Um, um, but it is, you know, it just isn't an option for a lot of people. Um, and so, uh, anyway, that's, that's where we step in. Um, you know, one of the, the, the hiring partners we've been, uh, you know, working with, um, you know, this is a, this is a, you know, bigger company, top of the Fortune 500 list. And, um, you know, and they project that, you know, within a few years, um, that they alone will have enough job openings to hire every single computer science graduate in the entire country um, from every university. And um, I mean, it's a pretty bold claim, but that's, you know, that's the type of scale that they're, you know, that they're operating at. And, and there just is not enough, um, not enough talent in the workspace, you know? And so part of, you know, what we're trying to do is fill that, fill that vacuum and, and, um, you know, with, with it being a seven month program, with it being online and accessible from everywhere. And, and because you don't have to pay up front and you only have to pay if it's successful for you, that de-risks it for a lot of people that are later in their careers. Maybe they're, you know, married and have a family now and, you know, and they live in, you know, in the Midwest or something, you know, or they're, they're not near any, you know, big technology hubs or, you know, or don't have access to a good university or don't have access to, um, or just don't have the capital to support their family while they're going to school for four years. And, and so, you know, the idea here is to create this, this vehicle to where we can take people that are in, you know, industries that are maybe being replaced by automation or, or just people that are, you know, in a, in a job with stagnant wage growth and they want to get into something that has a higher earning potential. Um, and, and by making it online, by having an, an income share agreement, by making it seven months long and intense as opposed to, um, you know, the four years, it, it facilitates a quicker movement. There's also something to be said for the repayment starts as soon as they land a job that pays above a certain percentage, which in most cases is more than they've made previously. To some extent, you're enforcing good financial habits of at that point, they haven't had the chance for lifestyle inflation to really set in to a point where if you pay someone $100,000 a year and there's no nothing, no strings tied to that, people start to spend $100,000 a year in many cases. If you're entering into this with a percentage-based approach, to some extent, you're almost incentivizing good financial habits because after their two years of repayment are done, they're used to living without that. They can start putting that money into retirement, into savings, into investments, and I guess coming out with a better financial health model from this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that was that was a cool insight that we had, and so we've actually partnered with with Wealthfront, um, uh, and so yeah, I mean, and, and that's what we tell our students is you know when your payments stop, just you know don't 
uh, like pretend like you don't have that increase in money and just take that same money, transition that, you know, start investing it. Um, you know, and so we have some, you know, some people that, you know, that work with our students and talk about, you know, safe conservative ways to, you know, invest and save for retirement and things like that. And, and, and yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it, it leads to, you know, a, a good financial lifestyle that can benefit the students throughout the rest of their life. What I find interesting about a lot of these stories is you talk to people in many cases who've been out of college for 10, 15, 20 years, and they're still being haunted in many cases by student debt. I've looked at your offering. I have a hobby of playing around with personal finance more than I probably should, but it seems to me, no matter how I look at this, there really isn't a, a part of the story where someone winds up taking your course and winding up down a financial rabbit hole. The The only question comes down to the opportunity cost of, is, is this the best program for an individual student? But it doesn't strike me as there being any edge case or corner case where doing this could be financially disastrous for someone. Am I missing something obvious? No, yeah. I mean, that, that was the... That was the, you know, the, the intent, you know, from the very beginning, you know, the, the only thing that our students need to risk to, to come to Lambda school is, is the opportunity cost. You know, the, the seven months they're spending in the program, you know, the months they're spending on the job search and, you know, and the time they're spending to prep for the class, um, which, you know, that, that does add up to a lot of time. And, and, um, you know, and we're working to, to make sure that our hiring rate is as high as possible. But, um, but yeah, it's, you know, we don't, we never want to take money from a student who, um, isn't able to, isn't able to afford it. Um, you know, we don't want to take money from students that did not, um, you know, greatly increase their, their lifetime earning potential. We don't want to take that money unless, unless it's, unless it's fair, unless it's, uh, you know, benefited the student. Talk to me a little bit about your curriculum. You have multiple paths or tracks people can go down. Uh, what are those? Yeah, so we we teach iOS development, um, UX, um, full stack web development, data science, and then uh, Android development. So, um, you know, right now we're starting with um, these different technical tracks. Um, you know, really, we see ourselves in the business of taking someone from income A, increasing it up to income B, um, and you know, and then we take a piece of the delta. Um, so, really, you know, so eventually we'll expand beyond that um, into other non-technical areas. I mean, so you know, we've even considered you know potentially a nursing school, things like that. Um, you know, but really, it's moving people into jobs that have high demand behind them. Yeah, so those are those are the five tracks we have right now, and then that will expand um, as we go forward. One thing that I find neat is you have this, I guess you described it as a mastery-based progression system. What does that mean? Yeah, so so this is something that in, you know, it's um, widely acknowledged as, you know, probably the best way to learn things. And, and it's something that most schools can't, uh, they can't do it at scale effectively. And so essentially mas- mastery-based progression is the idea that, you know, when you're learning something, you know, sequentially where, you know, where the knowledge builds on, you know, previous uh, topics, you don't move on to the next thing until you've mastered the thing you're on. You know, so the idea is like, you know, don't, um, you know, you don't, you don't learn, um, you know, the next topic until you've mastered what, what you're currently studying. And so what this means in our course is that, you know, when we're teaching, um, you know, I'll talk about our, our web course. That's our, that's our biggest one enrollment wise. Um, so I'll, I'll use that specifically here as an example, but, you know, so like, 
with JavaScript, if a student doesn't um, master the, our, our JavaScript lessons, um, then they don't move on to the React lessons. So, like, we're not going to try to teach them React if they don't know JavaScript. Um, you know, we're not going to get into you know some of the more advanced um, you know database um, you know design lessons. Uh, you know, if if they haven't you know mastered you know some of the basic API principles. And so, um, so the idea is that. Um, every week a student takes an assessment and if they don't, um, pass, um, with an 80% grade or more, then they repeat the week. Um, and we do our best to remove any, any type of stigma around failing. And, and the idea is that the students will continue to spend time working on the topics that they struggle with before they move on to something else. And we found that, um, students that, before, you know, would have become overwhelmed, would have wanted to maybe drop out. Um, instead, it, it gives them a way to succeed and, um, you know, and it really empowers the students and, um, and improves the, the experience significantly. What question that I have for you is, I don't know if you're public about this or if you can give me numbers, but what does your acceptance rate look like? Uh, what, something I noticed on your site is it's not sign up here. There's an application button, which implies at least some subset of people are not a fit for your program. Yeah, I mean, you know, unfortunately, we have to we have to filter because it's a seven month program. Um, it's accelerated. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, hour for hour, our seven month class comes out to being um, a little bit more than about a year of college. Um, is, is kind of how you can think about it. Um, you know, accounting for like homework time and class, you know, but, but, it, but it's taking that year of college and condensing it down into, into 30 weeks. And so, um, we move at a quick pace. So we need people that can keep up. Yeah. So our acceptance rate, it, it fluctuates, but it's sitting around 5% right now. But our, our, our attitude towards it is we don't want to be exclusive. Like we don't want the exclusive nature to Lambda School to be part of the, the value that we provide to, to students. Um, we want to accept everybody who can meet the the high standards that we set. Um, so think of it as like if Stanford suddenly opened their doors and everybody who applied who had, you know, a 32 on the ACT and a 3.8 GPA could get in. It's it's a high standard, but but anyone could attend if, if they could meet those standards. And, and, um, you, you know, and that kind of breaks down and, you know, with their type of a model, um, you know, but it is a little crazy that they turn away, you know, 95% of the people that want to pay them hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, but so, so our perspective is, you know, we want to provide this opportunity to, to as many people as possible, um, provided they can keep up and they can do well in the course. Cause again, you know, we don't want them to, to push through the course if they're not going to succeed and if they can't keep up. Yeah. So we, um, uh, we have a, it's kind of like a tryout, um, at the beginning. So the students apply, um, and then they have to pass an entrance exam to be able to start the course. And then we have all these free classes that we're running with live instruction that are designed to get people up to speed so they can pass the entrance exam. Um, so the entrance exam for the full stack web class, it includes things like like our students need to understand like what variables are and, you know, like if statements, for loops, functions, um, you know, all in JavaScript. And so it's nothing too complex or, or too terribly difficult, but it's, you know, it's about what you would learn in, in the first semester of a, like an intro to computer programming class in college. And so there's the idea is that we don't start from zero um, on day one of classes. So all the students, they know a little bit. We've proven that they can, you know, that they do have an aptitude for the material and that they can be successful with it. Um, and then and we then we push them through the you know the intense uh, seven month course after that. So let's say hypothetically that I find what you've said compelling, and as let's pretend for a second that I work for a giant company. Spoiler: I'm unemployable. But 
how would I go about hiring your graduates? I mean, is it, is it something I can do other than keyword resume searches? Do you have a reach out here and we'll put you in touch with our alumni style program? Or is it, is it still early days to the point where that hasn't been formalized as yet? Yeah. So, um, yeah, we have a hiring partners page on our website. Um, and we have a guy who, uh, his full time job is, uh, working with, uh, different partner companies to, uh, um, you know, help them find, uh, qualified, uh, graduates for their, you know, for their company and what they're looking for. So, um, because we're online, um, we have students. Um, so right now we have, we have close to 600 students currently enrolled. Um, and they are scattered all over the United States. Um, you know, I mean, uh, every metro area we have, we have, we have students everywhere. And so, um, and so then, uh, what we do is we look at students that are within that geographic region and, you know, we look at the requirements for the job and, and, uh, you know, and look, you know, we work pretty hands on with these companies to, to help them find, um, you know, people that, that they want to hire. And this is a, you know, and this is a free service, you know, this, it's a, it's a free white glove service. I mean, we, um, you know, we don't want to, uh, or we, we, you know, we don't want to put up any barriers to people hiding, hiring our grads, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, we do, uh, we do quite a bit to work with companies to make it easy for them to find qualified students to hire and, um, you know, and make sure they have a good experience. We follow up with the companies and we get their feedback on the student and we apply that to the curriculum and, and, uh, you know, we really work with them closely to, um, you know, to, to gather any type of feedback they have around, you know, the students specifically and how that could maybe reflect on, on our school. And, and, you know, and if there's anything we can do better, because we're constantly trying to improve the curriculum improve the way we do things. And, um, you know, we're always in this like high, high learning mode. One thing I feel the need to point out is despite how this uh, entire episode has played out, this is not paid placement. I'm, I'm not, you're not sponsoring this show. This is something I'm legitimately interested in. And it, it sounds to some extent, almost like I'm trying to promote the school itself. That's not based on any financial compensation. I just really like the idea personally, which is why I thought this would be a terrific episode. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, you know, really happy to happy to be on here and talk about Lambda School. And yeah, always, always fun to find another another fan. Absolutely. People can find out more at lambdaschool.com. Yes. Yep. That's the best place to go. <laughs> Terrific. This has been Ben Nelson, co-founder and CTO of Lambda School. I'm Corey Quinn, and this is Screaming in the Cloud. This has been this week's episode of Screaming in the Cloud. You can also find more Corey at ScreamingInTheCloud.com or wherever fine snark is sold.